The Cloudcast is sponsored by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of tens of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, doing good. I think we're, uh, what are we, three or four shows in a row now? We're both doing the show. Yeah. We're to the point where we're losing count. So, I know. You know, I know. <laughs> How have you been? You, you're, you're actually, are you traveling in anytime soon? What's your day? I was, in, uh, I was in San Francisco last week. I got to go out to the uh, Pacific Crest uh, Emerging Technology Summit, which was kind of fun. I got to hang out with... Uh, Got to hang out with some people, uh, hung out with like Mark Imbriaco and uh, uh, Jeremy Edberg from, uh, used to be at Netflix, now runs uh, Cloud Native and, and some other folks. So that was kind of fun. Got to talk to some finance people about what's going on in the market. And uh, it's always interesting to hear from investors who run these, you know, multi-billion dollar funds, you know, and they ask these these questions about various companies and you sort of realize like the minutia that we get into doesn't, they don't care. They just, you know, they, they, they want to know winners and they want to know losers and they want to know trends and the, the nuanced stuff kind of, they're like, ah, I could care less, man. I got, I got bigger there's, things to worry about. So what you're telling me is there's no details in billions. No, apparently not. Apparently not. Apparently most of our lives is completely, completely useless new, new, nuance and minutia. So, All right. But there's fun. the show for the week. All right. Thanks. So, but, uh, yeah, no, it's good. And I'm, I'm home for a bit. And then uh, I got to go out to, to San Francisco again for the Google event. So get back on the road. So I think I'm, I picked up your travel schedule for this year. So Yeah. You're not it, it sounds right. that way. No, no, not hardly traveling at all. And I'm actually enjoying it. Yeah. So uh, tonight's show is going to be kind of fun. It's, it's a topic I've, I've kind of been wanting to talk about for a while, um, and it was interesting. So, you know, there's there's this thing called uh, AWS Lambda, which got announced, I don't know, about a year ago, and it's people call it serverless computing, and there's a bunch of names for it. And, you know, for a while I was like, okay, I don't have any clue what it is, but it's sort of interesting, and, and we'll dig into it. And, and what's been interesting is over the last maybe three or four weeks, like I've run into probably a half dozen people who literally like kind of run their business, you know, using this as, as part of it. And, and we'll get into what it is. Um, and the other cool thing is, is our guest tonight, uh, who we'll introduce in just a second, not only is he in North Carolina, which is great. So, uh, you know, I think it's our second show with, with North Carolina people. Um, but, but I've been, you know, it's the weird thing about Twitter where you're kind of following people for a while and then your lives kind of intersect at some, you know, there's, there's some actual intersection rather than following them. So I've been following our guest for a long time. So I'll go ahead and introduce him. Uh, Joe Emerson, welcome to the show. Joe I'm, is uh, very uh, excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, we're, like we were saying, we, uh, we're, we're catching everybody when they're, they're done with their, their sort of day tasks for the night and, uh, and then they can, they can get going to stuff. But, uh, Joe is a founder and chief technology officer of, of build facts. Um, you're out in, in Asheville, North Carolina, which is, uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, give us a little, and even bit- though it's, even though it's like four hours away, because it's in North Carolina, we're going to call it local. Yeah, exactly. um, because compared to most of our guests, that's local. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it's it's interesting because I I used to read some of your stuff. You write some stuff for the New Stack, and and you've written in other places. And you know, and I always sort of see your bio, and and you you uh, you know you started a company called BuildFax, and for whatever reason, in the back of my mind, I always went. That's weird, you know. He's super, in, uh, you know, up to speed with technology, but he's working on fax stuff. So he must he must work on something interesting. But I, you know, it didn't make sense. And then I kind of dug into it. Aaron, you're going to like his company because it's it's all about helping people, you know, figure out. And it's essentially the 
the Carfax for builders, I think, if I'm understanding it right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we do. There are some great spammers who uh, nominate us for, uh, you know, best fax company. Uh, and they're asking to <laughs> us to like pay to be part of that uh, that honor. Um, yeah, so we um, we have the really the only national database of building permits, uh, and uh, and we have monetized that in a number of different ways. The original thought was that it was going to be this great uh, consumer product, uh, sort of Carfax for homes, uh, and it really is the closest thing to that. Uh, and so you can go to BillFax.com and you can get a BillFax report. And really what, what we know is that it, it, it helps people understand uh, between one sale of a home and, say, you're looking to buy it now, uh, what permitted construction has happened there that would in, impact the value of the home. Right. Uh, but actually the majority of revenue that BillFax gets is in helping insurance companies understand home condition and the age of the roof and the roof condition on homes, which are – uh, big predictors of whether you're going to have uh, losses uh, on your home. Yeah. So that those are our lar- largest customers. So yeah. it's it's been a fun experience. Yeah. It's uh and it's and it's one of those industries that you know having just done a I did a big home renovation. Aaron's wife's in real estate, so we sort of are dealing with this all the time. Like it doesn't feel like a super high tech industry, but it's it's one that's not going away. It goes through all sorts of you know growth spurts and ups and downs and. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's part of this sort of new, I think, revolution where we're seeing technology get part of these industries that, you know, felt like they were very physical or maybe not as technical as in the past. So it's, that's very cool. We should, we should dig into that. But what we really want to dig into tonight is, um, some of your background, cause, uh, there's this, there's this thing called serverless computing and serverless applications, which you've got a bunch of background in. In fact, you're, you're actually, uh, giving a talk at, at Interop about. So before we dive into the technology, like, why would anybody care about sort of serverless? You know, is it, is it a buzzword or is there like a real need for this stuff? Oh yeah, there's, it's, it, it, it's wonderful. It has a wonderful business application. And I do think that there are a lot of things that we in technology get really excited about just because they're cool. Um, but I, to me, serverless is not one of those things. It's one of those, it's, it's, it's an immensely powerful, uh, uh, tool that we can use. And so I think, I think the most, I think what's most useful in thinking about the power of serverless is to think about how we have gone from needing expertise within our organizations, uh, pre cloud to, uh, knowing how to provision hardware, do capacity planning, stand up servers, uh, and manage replacement of failing drives in a rate array and things like that to now, in, a, in an Amazon world, uh, in a public cloud world, you don't need to worry about any of those things, but you still need to worry about the, the virtual machines. And even in, say, something like Heroku with platform as a service, you have to worry about your dynos and they can go down. And so really what serverless applications let you do is that you get rid of pager duty. Uh, I mean, to put it another way, if your application goes down, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, it's, it's something that is entirely, the uptime and the availability is entirely controlled, uh, is entirely outside of your control. And that's a good thing because in general, in the same way that Amazon is very good at keeping your hardware online, uh, good serverless application platforms are really good at keeping those online. 
Uh, and so what that lets you do as an organization is that you can focus on your application. You can focus on the end user instead of having to have an expertise around keeping servers running or monitoring VMs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really – so if I you kind of go through an evolution in my head, right, you, you had physical data centers way back in the day and you're managing physical as well as operations. And then you move to cloud and you, you took away the physical, but you're still managing operations. And then now in serverless, you're, you are effectively taking away operations as well. Yeah, it's the closest thing. Uh, it, I, it, it almost is making good on the promise of platform as a service that none of the platform as a service vendors actually ever were successful at doing. Right? The, the, the promise of platform as a service was you write code and you deploy it and it just runs. Uh, and you were never ever actually ever to, able to do that with any of the platform as a service vendors, really. Um, but, but, but with serverless, you are. Uh, it just turns out it looks different from, from platform. Yeah. So, so give us, give us the basics. Cause I know, I mean, and there's a lot of services out there now. Um, but, but even like when, when Amazon first came out with theirs, it was, um, you know, they basically said like, look, if there's an event or there's an action that you want to happen, or you just kind of want to run some code, this is what you do. Um, but, but give us the basics. I mean, like give us an example of, of where you would use it and then you know, pick pick any of the services, maybe the ones that you like. Like, what do you actually do to make this make this do something for you to make it work? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think that just as we had to change the way we were thinking about architecting applications when we went from the data center to the public cloud, uh, I think we also have to think about changing uh, how we architect applications in serverless. And I actually think one of the big problems around the, the way vendors approach serverless, and if you look at the, the Lambda and its Me Too's, um, so you know, Google's announced its cloud functions and uh, IBM has its version, um, they're very focused on this, I need to run code in a way that I don't need to maintain a VM. And so that tends to be what people think of with serverless is, okay, well, when I had a server, I had a server and I had to run code on it, and so now I need to be able to run code somewhere else. How am I going to get that code to run? Well, I'm going to hook it up to an API, uh, like an API gateway, or I have to run it on a cron job. That tends to be the way most people think about serverless initially. Uh, I actually think if you go back and you think about application architecture, what serverless really says is think about thick clients, right, like uh, apps on phones, but then also single-page web apps that are using JavaScript frameworks like Angular or React. Um, and then eliminate that middle tier that everyone's so used to that's running on a server. And then the actual Lambda part of it or, or, or all of these other running code on a server actually tends to be very small. In, in, in the serverless applications that, that I oversee, an architect, the Lambda part of it is tiny. Uh, the key part of those applications actually are all the other services that, that make them run. So you need a place to host your static assets. Uh, so I, one of my favorite services here is Netlify. Um, uh, you need a place to put data, uh, and I like Firebase a lot for that. You oftentimes need an image store. So Cloudinary is an amazing image store. A lot of times you need to be able to search. Algolia is a great way to search. 
And a lot of times you need uh, authentication. And Auth0 is a wonderful service that handles authentication against LinkedIn and managing users. Uh, so I tend to think about more holistically about I'm building an application. It's being delivered to users. What are the what's the range of services that I can hook into? And so when I so this this excitement about Lambda and the excitement about you know the serverless framework to me feels like not enough people are actually writing really full fledged applications and thinking about the extent of serverless with them. Yeah. So that's that's. Fascinating. So I'll give, so way back when I was at the AWS conference when they announced all of this, and it was interesting to kind of both wrap my head around it and the crowd kind of with their impressions afterwards with talking to some folks, because it was, it was so funny. I listening to you, everything you just said and kind of going back to my impressions of it, they're just so vastly different. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Great. <laughs> and and be, because for me originally it was it was like I'd stated earlier it was all it was was simply completely removing the operations aspect of of uh, um, AWS completely to the where th- it was almost like charging per CPU cycle kind of model right and but it almost seemed like all right all they were doing is removing a whole bunch of operations and oh by the way you know you're pretty much locking yourself into AWS it almost seems like seemed like more of an easier more developer friendly oh by the way we might lock you in play as opposed to everything you just said <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting because i you know to a large extent there's much less lock-in when all you're doing is just uploading some code right um, yeah and but, now, that you, now that you've said all of that i'm like oh that's the that's yeah <laughs> yep i see where but, you're going. but but yeah i i, I mean i do think that if it, it just like when people when the when people first came to the cloud from the enterprise or from the data center and they said, well, this is silly. It's just a VM on the cloud. It's not different. And they they weren't thinking about why can it provision these things via API within minutes, and I have an infinite number of them, and I've got this ability to do this amazing horizontal scaling, um, and and I've got I can get these amazing availability scenarios, and they just weren't thinking about it. I think too when people go to serverless, they say, okay, well. I'm used to an application that has uh, where I'm running a web server and Ruby on Rails and I'm serving out documents and they're saying, well, gosh, it's going to be a real pain in the butt to like shove my Ruby on Rails application into something like Lambda. Like that just seems like why would that be good? And in fact, like Google App Engine is that thing for for Python and Django and Snapchat runs on it. It works well, but it's not I, I really see serverless as as this paradigm around how do I how do I have a thick front end? I put a lot of my business logic in the front end, which again is statically served assets, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, or it's an app that's running on a phone. So that's code that runs on the client side. And then how do I write that code so it can hook into all these like a network of services that I can just pay for? And, and what it means is that, you know, I've gone from paying, you know, typical application launch would be, say, four or $5,000 a month to Amazon Web Services. I mean, that's, that's what I was overseeing for years. And now, you know, I pay almost nothing to Amazon Web Services, increasingly less. And I've got, you know, some money to Algolia, some money to Cloudinary, some money to Netlify. You know, uh, again, all of these specific services that that have great uptime and serve these specific purposes. And it means that when I write my client side code, 
I, I really write specific client-side code for my use. And I don't have to write all sorts of you know, connective tissue code or just standard stuff that everybody has to write in every application. That, that, that really has dropped to a minimum. 95% of the code is specific to the, the application and, and the user that I have. It makes me much more nimble uh, and, and, and you know, much more responsive to users. And yeah. you brought up a that's interesting point in the fact that that you you kind of mentioned it there, but I want to highlight it a little further too. It changes the the cost model in the fact that you just don't have a bunch of AWS instances just sitting there. You're paying for them even if they're they're not doing anything per se. And yeah, granted, you can do some scale up, scale down, but you you still have a a static you know run rate bill, if you will, per month. But by spreading it out and doing this in a very different way and spreading it out to these, to these different services, you saw a very significant savings to the business, but also were able to do all these other advantages of writing the application in a different way as well. Yeah, and I don't actually know if if there was a massive dollar savings in terms of the spend. So it's probably... 60, 70% of what I would have paid Amazon, maybe 80%. But Amazon's getting much less. Uh, these other services are getting it. But there is this, there's the cost savings is really, I don't have pager duty. But I just don't, the site is up. It, and and my, my, my application teams, there's, this, there's a model of you want your developers to run your servers, which Amazon espouses and I have done for many years. You know, and, 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 and that's great, but, you know, you do need to worry about what happens if something, you know, goes down at four in the morning. When you build applications this way, you can't do anything about it if it goes down at four in the morning, and they generally stay up. So it just – it frees you. It gives you this wonderful focus, and you really, you, you really can be a very developer-led uh, uh, or the product can be very developer and product led, and it has no sort of crusty IT guy complaining to everybody about you know no you can't do that because that's going to have an impact on availability. That yeah, that makes more. <laughs> that makes sense. So we always talk, you know, we always talk about what works, but but so I'm going to ask the flip side question real quick. What what doesn't work as well, or what needs to evolve? Because you know, as dealing with all these technologies, it's still early days, right? What what are the what are the kind of challenges you faced? In moving to this architecture, yeah, you get so there's some weird annoyances. Although I will say, um, so and and in addition to being uh, CTO of BuildFacts, I work with a lot of sister companies. Uh, we're owned by uh, DMGT, which is a British corporation, um, and we have a, a number of uh, sister companies who do other things in like commercial real estate and uh, commercial properties in the U.S. Um, and uh, and and so I, we've been developing some serverless applications um, that do essentially like a Zillow for commercial real estate, um, and uh, and 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 there's one that's live right now. Anybody can go to called PropertyTourPro.com, which is lets you build a tour book if you are a uh, commercial tenant rep broker, uh, and those those are hosted serverlessly, and. I would say the biggest pain that we've had in building those applications has actually been uh, good senior software engineers who just don't like it uh, and, and feel like it's not, it, it can't be done right. 
Uh, there, I think there's a real bias in senior software engineers to believe that the back end is the cool part, the place where the really good people go, and the front end stuff is kind of you know for the for the beginners or the you know not fun people or the not awesome engineers, which is ridiculous because the front end is what drives the value to the customer, and that's the customer interaction and that's user experience. So, I mean, I, I think that's nuts, but you know, I've had some issues with that. Uh, and then beyond that, um, there are. There are situations in which you need to have private code. So specific, specifically, you often will have to make API calls to services as part of your code, and you've got a private key uh, that you can't make public. And so that's something that if you put in client-side code, even if you obfuscate it um, and send it out to a browser to execute, someone could see what that private key is. So you often need to run that in a protected way. And that's where something like Lambda or um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sort of called Stack Hut that's got a nice service that I think is better than Lambda. There's Auth0 has something called WebTask that, that I think is better for that purpose. And so there are a bunch of solutions, but that's a little annoying. Um, we also um, run uh, Firebase queues. And we actually do have a server in one of our applications. It's not customer-facing, but it does have queue workers that monitor a queue uh, and that do work uh, against what gets pushed to the queue. And we found that we needed that. Uh, and then one other point is that if you need to make an API endpoint for your application to other users or to other applications, uh, you are going to have to establish that somewhere through like API Gateway or Lambda or we have done it with WebTask uh, in order to get a, a decent API endpoint. So there are some things you have to work around. Um, but, you know, honestly, we haven't been thwarted in any functionality. Uh, it, it feels pretty mature to me or pretty, pretty, it's pretty, it has been possible and even easy to do essentially everything we've needed to do. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so let me, let me, let me ask this. Cause again, I'm, uh, my, my, my brain's spinning a little bit trying to just figure out some things. And like Aaron said, I, I think I had this perception that this was, um, you know, a little bit of, okay, we're simply moving something that used to run on a VM or in a container, which, you know, may have been a, a heavy backend application over to something that, uh, you know, you just don't worry about the infrastructure, but you're, you're kind of talking about it in the context of sort of flipping that around, making the, you know, the client side more. And then, and then there's sort sort of, um, you know, web of interconnected services on the back end, which is, which is sort of normal. Um, you know, one of the things that, that people would talk about some of the serverless stuff was they would talk about it with things like, like IOT, which, you know, still still means a million different things to different people and so forth. But does that same sort of paradigm work where I think people sort of thought, okay, serverless was maybe like, it just does one or two tasks. It's, It's the equivalent of a script or something. Um, is that maybe not necessarily going to be the case where, you know, you've got lighter weight clients doing one or two monitored things. They're going to send some data up and then this, this process does something, or is that another use case that just, you know, maybe is, is for other, other cases, you know, other uses. 
That, so it's very interesting. I love seeing it. It, it reminds me of when when uh, when the public cloud was first when Amazon was first out there. The the thing that all of the tech journalists talked about was cloud bursting. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Here's the deal. Black Friday. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get a lot of you're, you're going to be running your data yep. center, but suddenly, magically, servers are going to appear in the cloud. And they're going to handle all that extra traffic, and you're. Uh, by the way, the network is going to be totally reliable, and you're not going to have database latency. You're totally going to replicate that database fine. Like. No one, as far as I know, no one has ever cloud bursted ever, right? right? I mean, it, that's a fantasy. And it's, I mean, that persisted for years. I think that the things you're talking about are more real than cloud bursting. Uh, um, and I do think if you, if we're, let's say five years from now, I think when we look back at serverless, um, or what, if it gets a new name, we'll find out. But we'll say the first instance of serverless was parse and it was apps. And you cannot go and find a how to write iOS apps um, course on Udemy or any or like a book or anything. If you go Google how to write iOS apps and you go find that book or that series of tutorials, every single one of them will have one of its first apps. It will talk to you about how to set up parse and how to connect to parse and how you're going to store data in parse. So you've got somewhere on the internet to store data and some way to collaborate and interact with other users of your app. That was it. And that is the, that I think is a great example of the re and it's like, yo, or if you remember the app, yo, the terribly yeah. written app, yo, which where you can only say yo to other people, that thing is backed by parse. And that's sort of an application that would not have existed without Parse because it allowed that developer, and also like Flappy Bird, right? It allowed a developer who knew nothing about servers, nothing about cloud, nothing about remote. They just signed up for the service and they could use it, right? That was that's how those started. And I do think that like IoT, if if similarly, if you're a developer or you're a company and you don't understand how to keep servers up, you don't understand software architecture, you don't understand high availability, being able to use a serverless backend or a backend as a service to store your IoT data is absolutely a good gateway drug. And I guess what I'm saying from my perspective is those are nice and cute, but We've 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 been doing this for a while. I mean, Parse. I mean, Parse is now old enough to have been shut down, yeah. right? So, I mean, you know, three years ago we were using Parse. I guess what what I'm saying is that we have now Parse and a number of other and, and all these services that have cropped up have enabled this new way, this new better, you know, faster way of writing applications, this serverless way of writing applications that I ju is just going to be more and more emergent because it has such a core business value. It allows, in the same way that, it, that Parse allowed that Yo developer to know nothing except barely how to write an app, and suddenly that exploded. In the same way, we, we empower developers through serverless. They don't understand, understand anything about Amazon Web Services at all. They, they, the, you know, the learning curve on being able to build a highly scalable, highly available app that has all sorts of crazy, wonderful features um, 
is is very close to us and i know as you know every time that happens we empower those developers and we do that because software is eating the world every company is becoming a software company and so if you are a company and you want to win you need to empower your developers to build great software quickly and what you want to do is just make that easy so why would you make people manage vms if you don't have to yeah yeah no it makes sense that i uh, there's 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 another guy I wanted to have on the show. I, I, I have a friend. We got to talking about some stuff, and he's some people. People, people that listen to the show would know who he was. I, I'm not supposed to say his name, but uh, you know, he was telling me he, he had a he had a relative who you know ran a small business, and basically, you know, they were talking one night over dinner, and he said, "Hey, I've got this problem. I have this sort of common problem, and had to do with you know how he managed sales contacts and just you know common stuff that everybody has." And and he, uh, you know, my friend, the technical guy, basically, you know, sort of knew some of the PaaS platforms, knew stuff like Cloud Foundry and some things, and and sort of said, well, I think I could hack you together some things, and and then started writing it, you know, where he used, he ended up using Lambda on the back end, but he said, look, it, you know, the Lambda piece didn't really matter, but but the way he explained it, which is is exactly what you said, was everything he focused on was solve this business problem, and there was nothing that he was focused on, which was, you know manage capacity, manage IO, manage this, that, and the other. It was just simply like he could draw it on a napkin and he went, here's the business process I want to happen. Here's the, here's where I want technology to kick in. And, and the way he explained it to me was exactly what you said. It's you're only focused on make this application and, and make it solve some business problems. So yeah, I, I think, you know, just given his background and he's not a, not a hardcore developer, I think once people start to understand this stuff, I think the light bulb will come on. And it, like you said, it will become something that, all kinds of businesses go cool. That's something I can add a feature for. I can add a, an application for very, very simply. Yeah. So, so go, Joe, let me ask you this real yeah, quick. Um, so you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, there's some other services out there that are, that are better than Lambda. What, what does that mean? What is the yardstick by which you measure serverless? Right. Like what are the, the features or lack of features that, you know, would have made it more complex? Like what when you say that, what exactly does a statement like that mean? So I'm I'm entirely concerned about the developer experience. So I, so to me, the question is, I'm a developer. I'm trying to get something out the door uh, and I'm trying to get something out the door that I can, um, you know, that I can connect to my repository usually GitHub, I can run code review on it, I can run automated tests on it, um, I can write you know quality code easily, and it fits in with my existing workflow uh, that, that I'm using. Uh, and so to, to use WebTask as an example, or StackHut is similar here, I mean, if, if you want to deploy a WebTask, I believe you type WT, and you're, you just stay, this is all Node.js stuff, so you're usually using Gulp or Grunt, as a developer tool, and and it, it I mean, it, there's just this nice Node package manager ecosystem. So you just you just run a command, and it deploys your your code, and you've got all sorts of ways that you can run write tests on it very easily locally. Now with Lambda, because it's hooked in with all Amazon Web Services, and Amazon Web Services is very keen on leveraging all of its services everywhere. That means that you have to deal with IAM, which is a you know just a complexity nightmare. I mean, I don't know anybody who finds IAM even remotely easy to use. I, I've never 
I've audited some configurations. I've never seen anybody with actually with least user privilege on IAM. People end up over, granting over permissions, uh, excessive permissions in, in IAM because they can't figure out how to do it narrowly. I mean, it's very confusing. So you have to deal with that. You have to, the way that you typically have had to deploy to Lambda is you have to do it through the console, which is ridiculous. And so there are tools now, right, that, that, that make that easier. But it, it's, you know, and then you need API gateway to even connect to the thing. And you've got to set all that up and, and interact with it. And, and it's hard to test in place also. So again, there's toolkits. I mean, the serverless, or, which was JAWS, um, makes it a bit easier. But when you compare it to something like StackHut or, or, or WebTask, you just, I mean, from my perspective, it's just why. I mean, it, it's, and, and it's fundamentally, it's because Amazon has this ecosystem. Uh, I mean, I think Amazon's strategy has been, Every, every bit of complexity that you IT people have always had, we'll give you here so you can switch over, <laughs> you know? But, but the downside to that is that, like, all that complexity remains. So Interesting. Well, let, yeah, me, let, me wrap, yeah, let me wrap this up a little bit so we don't get too long in the show. Uh, and, and this is uh, I'm a little bit biased in asking this question because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the track chair for, for Cloud Connected Interop, and you're giving a, a four-hour uh, session on it. Um, Give, if anybody who's going to Interoff in May, give us the basics. You're giving a talk on building serverless applications. Like, what's somebody going to? What are they going to learn? What are they going to walk away with? You know, give us the Cliff Notes version of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm doing that with Jeremy Edberg of uh, Cloud Native, and yep. so he's going to be talking about Yeobot, and he's going to be talking about Lambda more. And I'm going to be talking about. Um, I'm going to give more background on why and why this is better, and 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 the business benefits. I'm going to compare development timelines, which I think are very important. Um, it, we, I mean, you develop much faster this way. And I'm going to go in depth uh, into the architecture and choices and uh, things we had to change uh, and, uh, you know, services that we discovered uh, and, and architectures of applications that are, that are running serverlessly. And both uh, two applications that will be uh, serverless at that point in time, and they should collectively uh, be getting around half a million monthly uniques at that point in time. So it'll it'll be a good uh, proof of you know scalability, availability, and all that. Very cool, very cool. Well, listen, that one is uh, I'll, I'll put it in the no show notes. I think it's Tuesday morning of, of Interop. Uh, it's like That's eight, right. Eight yep. thirty in the morning or eight in the morning. So. Um, yes. Well, listen. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This is this has been a topic we've been wanting to dig into for a while. It was it's it's good to to talk to somebody who's been who's been playing with it for a while, has played with the different services, and uh, we may we may want to hit you up again once we get a little bit smarter and uh, and dig into it some more. But thank you so much for being on tonight. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, if uh, if somebody doesn't get a chance to bump into you, uh, you know, like out at Interop or something, what's What's a good way to get in touch if they want to pick your brain, or uh, how do you make yourself available to people? Twitter, uh, just at Joe Emerson. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, Joe and Aaron, thanks for a good conversation tonight. And uh, folks, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.